0: Welcome to Where's Home Really? with me, Jimmy Famarewa, a podcast that really gets under the skin of some amazing guests and the experiences, places, and people that have made them. It's a show about culture, identity, and heritage. And it's a space where these well known names can really open up about who they are and where they find that elusive, ever shifting sense of belonging. Every episode, I'm going to ask my guests to tell me how they define the idea of home. And I'm going to do this by asking them about four key elements. After we finished, I'm pretty sure I'll know a lot more about them, and I think you will too. Those four elements are a person, a place, a phrase, and a plate. So for me, one of these would be a 5 side football cage, specifically one in Abbey Wood in South East London, where I grew up. Every time I see one of those, it just reminds me of amazing lost summers growing up. And although we wouldn't have called it community, just being out with so many different people. But enough about me. Let's hear from today's fantastic guest. I said it in a song. I gave Harry Redknapp planting. I
1: made him eat scotch bonnet. The man that fielded the most black players in history, in football, grew up with African players. I say, what? They didn't give me one shoe. No one said, yo, here's some Akara. Here's some Gary, Here's something. That was my thing.
0: I made High Redknapp East Scotch Bonnet. Today's guest is the UK rapper and TV personality, Big Zoo. He started making music and emceeing on the grime scene in his teens, and has worked with the best in the business, the likes of JME and P Money, as well as his cousin, AJ Tracy. But it's his BAFTA-winning cooking show, Big Zoo's Big Eats, that has taken his talents to a whole new audience. That show has also led to acting work in the Dave sitcom Sneakerheads, and a recent appearance as a guest judge on Gordon Ramsay's Next Level Chef. Born in the UK and of Syria, Leonian and Lebanese heritage, he grew up on the Mozart estate in West London, a place that's an integral part of his story. Big Zoo, my guy, welcome. Yes, I'm rather How was Hi. that as an intro, man? Like, Great I, intro. I, <laughs> titles, titles, like you were Khaleesi or something. I was really going for it. Um, where are you, man? You seem like, you seem cosy, you seem Chilling. comfortable. I'm
1: in my um, games room. We've got a local set up with dirt computer i got a big massive computer that i have no idea what it does <laughs> I just went online and spent all my money yeah i feel like this room is like the epitome of <laughs> what i wish i had when i was growing up so it's sick to like be here now i'm like doing my thing and like like thank god that everything's good but even sometimes like when you when i purchase stuff i'm like i don't know if am i allowed to do that is right. that like, okay?
0: That's interesting. Like,
1: yeah. can, I, can I do that? Even though there's literally nothing stopping me, I'll still be like,
0: still think about it 16 times and is the right decision. I think I can relate and I want to dig into that one as well. But I always start off with the show title, with that question. When you hear somebody ask you, where's home really? What are the first things that come to mind and, and how does it make you feel? Uh, I guess there's two things.
1: Definitely, like Mozart, where I grew up, and it's probably just Sierra Leone, like Sierra Leone. That's where my mum's from. That's where my dad was born. Like my whole family are from Sierra Leone. So I think that's probably a couple of the first things that come to mind. Yeah,
0: of both those things, always had equal weight. Has Sierra Leone like come to the fore a little bit more? I know that you were you were there very recently, and like when we've spoken previously, I've just got a sense of of that pride in the homeland in that way, and properly engaging, and that it that it gives you so much. No, 100%. I always was connected to Sierra this is where my mum's from, but I
1: never really understood how much my family kind of like come from there, you know? My Mm. whole
0: entire family are from there. Yeah, Everything about me is from there, so. I'm always interested in the extent to which, you know, you can tell yourself, oh no, I'm a Londoner, but then, you know, the West African jumps out at at surprising moments. Are there there particular character traits or things that you think of in yourself that you think, oh, wow, I understand now why I'm like that. or that comes from Sierra Leonean culture Mm. or that kind of, that home. When I cuss and argue
1: and shout and scream, <laughs> I know it's direct from Salon people. One thing they say, they're saying this, Sabi Sabi, means understand. Yeah. yeah? So Sabi, that's how they are. They're very like got a hot mouth. They say everything that comes to their mind. <laughs> and I always wondered like, why am I so off the cuff with it? Like, why am I so good at cussing people? <laughs> and
0: it comes from my Salon roots, man. We've spoken about a phrase and I love that phrase. So let's land on that straight away. Is there a phrase for you? Is it that phrase? What's your choice of the of the word or piece of language that best encapsulates or makes you think of home, whatever that may be?
1: Well, for 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 Salon, it's Audi Body is how you say how are you? Yeah. But it's like Audibody is just so like English, but it's not. It just it just really defines what Creole is. Creole yeah. is a very laid-back language and the reply to Audi is to body fine so <laughs> when I tell I people that's, that. that's how we speak Creole they're like brother that ain't that ain't language <laughs> that's just some pigeon I'm like brother it's not pigeon we're not Nigerian it's actually its own whole entire thing and I think if we're speaking about the ends, it's probably probably saying wagwan. Like, like, man's not Jamaican, but I say wagwan every day in every sentence. Like wagwan is also like emotional. Like something's going on, you'll be like wagwan, bro. (laughs)
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It can have multiple meanings and who you say it to, how you say it. And I love that you gave two answers because it's like both sides of yourself. And it feels like that's a really important part of your story. A lot of people, maybe not the first time that they would have been made aware of you, but certainly the pivotal moment in recent memory was winning two BAFTAs, we have to remind people, um, in 2022. And as much for the awards, it was the speech you gave and the way that you deliberately and pointedly Placed yourself in context and talked about how you came to the country. Like, it's been a little while since you made that statement. How do you kind of yeah. reflect on it and and the kind of the impact that it's had? The speech almost felt more important
1: than the BAFTA itself. It was like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I never knew how, how important that moment would be. And, and I maybe should have planned a bit more because I definitely <laughs> freestarted it. But thank God, I'm good at freestyling.
0: <laughs> You've been training for years. I've been training lyrically.
1: Lyrically for that moment, I've been prepping my whole life, bro. I think the impact is what really, really spun me. I did, like, man's on road and people are like, yo, hey, that speech touched me, man. Someone oh, told me wow. they watched it. They watch it every morning. Wow, I'm like, oh. wow, wow. On a motivational one, I was like, yeah. I'm, like, I'm not Barack Obama, but okay. <laughs> I'll take it. Now, everything happened beautifully, like, even the way my mom came on stage last, mm, mm. so that I, that was the last thing I saw before I started speaking. Yeah. So I just go, "And time, my mom, lady right there at the end." And then I, and it made me just go, boom, Let me tell you who I, where I'm from. Yeah, yeah. Then I look yeah. at Tubsy Eye and say, "Where they're from?" Yeah, Iraq, Kurdistan. When I said that, I'm like, "What am I trying to get out of this? What am I trying to say?" And it just led to me saying, "Man, come from humble beginnings." And then I remember like taking that pause. Looking around the room, everyone's clapping, and I was thought, How did "I do say something that that is gonna affect Telly a little bit, because that's mm. what I wanted to do. That's yeah. what, the whole point. Of, me winning a BAFTA affects Telly. Yeah, yeah, it really does. You know, and mm. then me saying that we want to see more working class people in Telly, because mm. I was gonna say black people. I've realised more than ever there's two fights. There's the fight for like race. I mean, it's more than two fights. There's a lot of fights, but there's the fight for race and then the fight for class are mm. so interlinked. And in Telly, the disconnect between race is as similar as the disconnect between class. The representation of like people in Telly is, is mental in terms of like diversity, but yeah. it's getting there. Yeah, it's yeah, getting yeah. better, maybe people put, being put on screen, people like me winning BAFTAs, things like that. But then you look at the class side... And it's a completely different conversation in terms of like being represented in like higher positions of power
0: in television Mm. is very, very low. There's work to be done, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, paint a picture. What were your first homes like? You talked on the BAFTA stage about your mum literally being pregnant with you and leaving Sierra Leone at a time of civil war. And that made for quite a chaotic arrival. And like your early years were a little bit kind of coloured by that circumstance. But what your early memories of it? What were your first homes like? I know my mum, when we first moved over, she lived in Victoria with a friend.
1: We went to Battersea. And when we were in Battersea, it was all right. Like my dad was supporting my mum from yeah. Sierra Leone, sending money over. My mum was working. When my dad and my mum split up, by the time I was like three, things just flipped up. We were out of Battersea, started living with one of my uncles. We left there, went to it like it was in a bed and breakfast. Wow. Left that, went to a a a hotel, which is for for refugees. It was like a temporary spot before you would get housed by the council. So normally it's just stay there for like maybe three to six months. We ended up doing about two, two and a half years, right? Wow! In this yeah. place, so like yeah. I used to share a room with my mum. Those times, there, even though it was tough and it wasn't easy, I had great people around me, young people around me that were all in the same position as me. So we used to just have a lot of fun to like hide the pain, I guess. And I got so many memories of them times, like growing yeah. up there. And then we got our temporary house in 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 West London, yeah. in Mozart. So living just off the estate, like, that's where I spent most of my childhood. Yeah. I remember the first time my mum, like, let me go play football in the local park. <laughs> yeah. She had she like, stayed and watched. And she was like to the kids, don't hurt my son. So come back to this park. And I remember looking at them like, you're going to hurt me, aren't you? I love your mum's idea that, oh, this is going to help if I just, like... <laughs> Yeah, if I told them, don't do anything to him, surely they won't steal my son's phone. That won't make um, it worse. There's this like, bidding system with the council where you right. have to bid for a house. So they started offering us like random houses in the middle of nowhere. Like We were like, no, no, no. And then I found this one house in Victoria. I bidded for it. I was like 14. I wow. bidded for it. And my mom never knew, but I accepted it.
0: Wow. Because through so
1: the account, you can accept. You're doing this at 14? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> pretty, wow! world. Yeah. But my mom is a classic African woman. I'm not doing it. My son can do it. So she she didn't know, but I bidded for this house and we got accepted. So my mum gets a letter just saying, come view your new property. And she's like, what? I had no idea what's going on, but she went there, saw the house, and she was like, wow. Gave her the keys straight away. I remember I had to stay in the house. It was empty. I had to sit in there for a day on the floor waiting for everything. And I remember that story. I just
0: remember like sitting in there being like, yo, this is the change. Did it feel it in that moment that that was kind of the first time that, okay, you know, literally from the moment of your mum kind of arriving and then that initial change of circumstances when things broke down between her and your dad, like, did that feel like, okay, we can... We can breathe, you know, the situation has changed. Yeah, it felt like
1: Joe was it was obviously moving away from my local area was sad. I was like, I didn't want to leave the ends. And I was still in secondary school, so it was long. Like I'm like, bro, I'm gonna go leave the ends. I'm gonna to have to take this long route to get to school every day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it was the first time we got a permanent house.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. And living temporary is dead. You never know. You never know what's gonna come, you never know what's gonna happen. Council's not amazing, things go wrong all the time.
0: Yeah. Well, again, you know, just to go back to that idea of where we find home or where we feel secure, like if it's, if, if it's literally temporary and all you've known is things that are, that are ever changing, like how can you feel like you're on solid ground? Like how can you, exactly. um, how
1: can you relax? Obviously don't get me wrong. Like when you're young, these are the kind of things that are not too much in your head, but they definitely have an impact and. Like even just being told, okay, you got to sign up to this website to bid for a house. I'm yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yo, isn't there like an easier process? <laughs> Why do we have to do bidding wars? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, because I was a young kid that was a little bit smart and techie, I just bidded for everything to increase our points. But I mean, let's say let's say your son isn't, or let's say your daughter isn't, or or let's say you don't have kids who, who don't have access to,
0: to, to the computer like that, and you have to go and go to an internet cafe to bid for your house. Let's talk about your place then. We've been talking about a lot of different places. I can see that there's going to be a lot of options. <laughs> I mean, it's definitely going to be Freetown, Sierra Leone. Amazing.
1: But it's become my home more, more over time. You know, growing up with my mom and my dad and my, the fact that my mom and dad split up, I used to always be like, yeah, I'm from Sierra Leone. And then my dad's from Lebanon. But it's only the older I got, I realised that my dad and his whole family were born in Sierra Leone. They are Sierra Leoneans. They have Lebanese heritage. Like, my Both my parents are born in Sierra Leone. Both of their grandparents are born in Sierra Leone. So I am from Sierra Leone. That's it. Like, if you talk about definition, like, I'm not Lebanese. I'm Lebanese by heritage. But in terms of, like, where I'm actually from, I'm from Sierra Leone. I'm a
0: British man. That's from Sierra Leone. Your father's side, their Lebanese heritage, will be through the prism of Sierra Leone, won't it? And like, you know, there's there's, there's obviously huge Lebanese diaspora in in like Nigeria as well. West Africa, yeah. I
1: definitely understand my Lebanese culture, my Lebanese roots. Yeah. And they're definitely there, but like, my whole life is in Sierra Leone. My whole family is from Sierra Leone. My dad, when he talks, he sounds like an African man. He doesn't sound like (laughs) Lebanese man that's Arabic. But in Africa, he is not accepted as African. And that's because of the the relationship between the Lebanese and the Sierra Leoneans. It's, its its very rocky. There's a lot of bad blood in terms of like the way the people have been used and the way people have been abused. And Yeah, of course. So Freetown, that's the place. Yeah, man. Sierra it's Sierra That's me, man. That's yeah. me. That's me to a T. That's my nature, who I am, my personality, everything about me all comes from there. And yeah. I never knew that. Yeah. I never knew that. Obviously, going back a couple months ago, really showed me that I always yeah. like, had an understanding, but yeah. I didn't really know, yo, I'm fiery and over the top and confident <laughs> because of these people. When I see two people going crazy in the street, <laughs> shouting at each other, I'm like, that's why I'm good at clashing and grinding. <laughs> that's the reason why I can yeah. send for people and write bars about them.
0: I want to talk about your beginnings in music, but I wanted to just touch on food just briefly because all throughout these experiences. And I'm thinking of you as the 14 year old who's like, you know, <laughs> spread betting for, for for different properties and, and <laughs> changing your family's living circumstances through your facility with with computers and stuff. Were you also quite mature in taking over in the kitchen? Were you interested from an early age in cooking and being self-sufficient in that way? And what sort of dishes were the things that, that you're really drawn to? The first thing I can remember cooking him, I've I've said this story quite a lot, Mm. is mum was
1: pregnant, she was boiling tortellini. Yeah. She didn't read the packet, (laughs) so she thought you had to cook it the same amount of time as fresh pasta. I read the packet, it said boil for two minutes. (laughs) Oh, I sat there pondering, two minutes, why two minutes? (laughs) Actually, you know what, makes sense, mum's one's really soggy. (laughs) and doesn't soak up the sauce and also bursts the... (laughs) (laughs) the pocket of that little spinach ricotta, wherever it would be, that you buy from Sainsbury's for one (laughs) pound, would always burst and go into the boiling water. And they used to always be like, this is not, it shouldn't taste like this. I, I never had tortellini anywhere else. So I didn't have anything to compare it to. But I used to watch a lot of like Sunday brunch, Saturday kitchen, Rick Stein, all these people going around, food, 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 food. So... I remember them talking about al dente and boiling pasta less. So I remember I just said one day, you know what, I want to do it. Boil it for two minutes, heat up the sauce in the microwave, mix it together, add hella cheese, gave it to my mum. And she was like, yeah, this is not cool. I said, hey, I took the packet out of the bin, pointed at the two minutes. I said, look, it says boil for two minutes, mum. She was like, mm, Okay. You could tell, I could tell I defeated her. You'd cracked it, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it wasn't enough. The more I told the story, the more I realised that, at first I thought it was just cooking, helping around the house, you know, I wanted to be
0: I wanted to be a good you. But it was that satisfaction of proving my mum wrong. Right, that was the drive. That was yep. the thing, that was what you were chasing. Yeah, I yeah, love that, it was, yeah. It was, you know, mum, classic, very
1: strict, very, always one step ahead. With that tortellini, I was the guy. <laughs> and it gave me a power that was like, I because sometimes with, with, with West African parents, they are very, very controlling in terms of your knowledge.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Like, like even my mum would have big conversation with her friends in the living room. I'll be there trying to get involved. Like, they're talking about politics or yeah. stuff in life. I'll be there like, yeah, this is, I think. And they all turn around looking look at me like, you are 12. <laughs> Your point is relevant. You know what I mean, and it's not, not obviously not that black and white. I don't want people to no, think I that. No, I know, but but I think just again, me.
0: yeah, but I think again, that's another <laughs> thing that like really spans a lot of cultures. And I've seen like Lenny Henry talk about in Caribbean cultures, it's like, oh, this is big people's business, and like this, this idea of always being shooed away as a child is something that I really relate to as well. It's it's strange, isn't it? Because I think on the one hand, you're really self sufficient because you know maybe that comes from a class thing. And if you've got working parents and you have to be able to look after yourself. But then on the other, like, there's a sort of babying, isn't there? There's a kind of like, oh, you can't do that. You don't know what you're doing kind yeah. of thing. And I think it feels quite telling that it was pasta that was the thing that you could like, <laughs> that you could have your mastery, right? Because I imagine uh-huh. if you were like, okay, mum, I'm I'm cooking the jollof. I'm cooking the opera uh-uh. stew tonight. You would... You, you wouldn't last very long. I'm still trying to perfect that one right now. But no, nah, yeah, 100%. I never thought it would be Tortellini that broke down that wall for me, but... <laughs> I love that, though, the power of Tortellini. Welcome back to Where's Home Really with me, Jimmy Famarewa, where my guest is Big Zoo. Cheers. Hi. <laughs> Let's talk about your plate as we're talking about food. What dish are you going to go for that really encapsulates, crystallizes that yearning for home or that, that feeling of home? I would say it's okra soup. Ah. So an okra soup, with fufu, talk us through it. So explain those that are uninitiated. So okra,
1: obviously they call they also call it lady fingers. It's, a, it's just a like green slimy veg. You cook it down, cook it down. You do You can even have it whole. Or you, yeah. you slice it down. A lot of African dishes start with like a tomato base, boiled meat stock, all coming together with a vegetable. So whether it's cassava leaf, whether it's the sour sour, whether it's um, granite, you know, using ground nut peanut butter, it's always the same. Even off. it's typically onions, tomatoes. The sauce starts it all. Scotch yeah, body, yeah, yeah, exactly. The
0: yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, and, and that's what okra is. Okra is just a tomato based stew with, with, with either lamb or whatever. The Lebanese are a little bit like, we don't want that. We just want <laughs> some olive oil and lamb. So the okra that my mum used to make, she'll make two types. She'll make the easy oil, beef or lamb. Yeah. Then you got the real... <laughs> African, palm oil,
0: dried shrimp, cow foot, sheep belly. Yeah, yeah. Take the training wheels off. Playing on hard mode. Uh, across you. Yeah, food, food, yeah. food that
1: comes from fermented cassava that's been boiled and yeah, so much yeah, yeah. death. There's a lot going on, yeah. So I used to love it because like, let's say after school, I might have the humble one. Mm. And then when it's a weekend, family coming over, got a big palm oil one and... Yeah, I remember one time I begged my granny, may she rest in peace, I begged my granny to make it for me. I choked on a bone, a barracuda. There was some fish in it. choked on a barracuda bone. (laughs) And I thought, I felt like I was going to die. And I remember they came over, they were like, eat rice, eat rice, eat rice. So I was choking and they're making me eat rice. And I'll never forget because I didn't die, still here. But instead of like, the the like squeezing me trying to help I'm me or, I'm yeah, or panicking I'm yeah
0: no nope. rice eat more the solution to everything is more rice aha when we were talking a little bit earlier about you know starting off and having those little epiphanies about cooking times and with the tortellini. It made me think of the fact that there's obviously a lot of assumed knowledge like throughout food media, throughout the food world. And I wondered for you stepping into that zone, how has it been in terms of you, you know, you bring so much that is underrepresented to that world. But is there a sense of feeling like you're being tested and, oh, do you know this dish? Oh, don't you know that? Oh, haven't you had that before? And kind of, yeah, how how have you kind of navigated that side of things? At first, I felt like I, there was a pressure for me to know more. Coming on different shows and mm. even
1: when people stop me in the street, oh, but people talk to me about food but food is forever evolving. There's so much roots. And I read that there's this dish in Mexico that is a taco. I can't remember the type of taco, but I think it's a taco that they make with the pork. It's like a pork shawarma.
0: Pastor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pastor. Pastor. Ed Pastor
1: comes from Lebanese people going to Mexico. (laughs) What? What I mean with that story, it sounds super random, but it's that you're always learning. I feel like with food, the pressure to know it all is false because I'm proud in the fact that West Africa is my is my choice of weapon, you know. And I get a lot of people that be like, "Yo, man, thank you." I never seen someone make John off on the screen. Yeah, or I've never yeah, seen yeah. someone make this on the screen. And yeah. you know, I'm trying to do it as authentic as possible. You know, you can never you can't please everyone. But the more I grow in food, the more I'm able to have conversations. And I I feel like the Saturday kitchens is the moment that I feel that like the most because you're with you're with other guest chefs. Who might have restaurants, yeah, who might yeah, be yeah. critically acclaimed, who are coming to do their dish live on telly. They're talking about the produce, the flavor, and then I'm there like, bam, man's gonna cook this. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm looking at Matt like, you yeah, bro, and he's like, <laughs> that bloody us. big
0: zoo. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and you know what's funny at first when I met that brother, I thought, I'm gonna hate this guy. This right. brother's some conservative brother, yeah, just yeah, hates yeah. man. Yeah. But you know, through through the connection of food and every time, the more I've gone into that show, every time I've gone in there, I've realized I've seen like his heart grow fonder. Yeah, his eyes yeah, open yeah. wider. Yeah, his yeah, arms yeah. open for my. Because yeah. at first it's like, you ain't a chef. You're just here to my, You won't be here later. You ain't coming. you ain't doing a side of kitchen too. <laughs> but then by the time you've done four or five, it's like I felt more secure in m- myself as a chef because I know I could go on there and I don't have to be like everyone else who's talking about this and that. I
0: could just go there and be me and Yeah. That sense of opening up and like understanding is almost certainly what is happening on people's sofas and people are hearing about this. And I think you you do so much by going into those spaces and just being yourself. And and I I really wanna hit on your person. So who is the person that gives you that sense of being yourself, moving into these spaces, and also remembering where you came from. Like, who have you gone for?
1: It has to be my mum. My mum's identity, in terms of her being from Sierra Leone, you know, leaving the country during the rebel war, coming over here. My mum was about 27. And ever since then, she's been, she's 54 now. So a lot of her life has been outside of Sierra Leone. My mum is a snapshot of what Salon used to be mm. before the war. The way she talks, the way she yeah, thinks about it, her ideology.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Even when my mom speaks Creole, she's like, it's like, this is old school, your old school Salon. She sees Salon in, a, in in how it used to be, you know, this beautiful part of West Africa. She wasn't there in the war, so she never got to see the devastation. We've been back, so she knows what's going on. But a lot of people if they, that are from Salon now one of the most used sayings in Salon is air Salon, <laughs> air
0: Salon. It's like, it's like an art man, England, bloody England. They say that a lot. And I love that you've chosen your mum. Like that idea of her being a link to something that maybe doesn't even exist anymore, like a home uh-huh. or an idea that that you kind of carry with you and and you can be inspired by and look to, you know, she represents this kind of, Beauty and hope that that doesn't necessarily exist in the same way, and that's absolutely beautiful. Um, we've not really spoken about music too much, which seems mad because you are kind of stepping back into music mode. It seems. I, I mean, maybe that's the wrong way to put it. Do you feel that you do kind of consciously switch between the two things? How do you see the balance? Telly is a job. Yeah, um, and music is
1: music is my life. Like yeah. food, food being a chef and being making food is also my life, but. The way you put out music and the way you put out your love for food is very different. Yeah. You know, like, if I had a restaurant and I was writing recipes and I was doing that, then I would say, yeah, I'm a food man. But I'm a telly man. I cook food on telly. So telly is very nine to five. Telly is wake up, cool time, nine o'clock, get home, cab's booked. (laughs) Whereas music isn't like that. Music is forever going on. I, I just facilitate my music around my job. And last year, I took a complete break. I said, you know what? I'm going to just focus on working and take a break from music for the first
0: time in my life. And How was it? It, it, it felt feels, good, feels man. It feels like a, I'm talking to someone like an addict trying to <laughs> was trying All to right. quit. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Playing, yeah. Um,
1: <laughs> no, it felt good, man. It felt good. It felt good to like have a little breather, just listen to music mm. rather than focusing on the competition. And music is constantly a battle of what are you doing next, what's coming up, how are you planning it, what's going on. So... I got to be able to get out of that loop. Yeah. And I feel like I'm blessed because Telly's put me in a position where financially, I'm not like straining music to make me money, which is Mm. what I was doing as a creative, you know, you you do all this creative stuff and you have fun, but you also have to be mindful that I've got bills to pay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Whereas now it's like, that's covered by Telly. So I can purely do music for the love of the art. Of course I want to make money for my music. Of course I wanted to stream and do shows and yeah. get plaques, but that's not the sole purpose. The sole purpose is as an outlet for fun. Yeah. So now I've come back. I'm like ready to just do everything. And I'm ten years into my artistry now.
0: So congratulations, you know, man.
1: Thank you, man. I've done my I've done my ten thousand hours.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably twenty thousand. So we're talking about your culture and the varying sort of manifestations of it, but how has your culture, and you can choose whichever one you'd like, of Lebanese or London or Sierra Leonean, how has that had a positive, wider impact on like the world, Like, be it through the arts, food, attitude, sayings, whatever? Like what, what are some of the things that come to mind? I definitely feel like with what I've done with salon food represents West Africa,
1: yeah, in a way that it's not an argument about who's got the best jollof. <laughs> and I said it in a song. I gave Harry Redknapp planting. <laughs> I made him eat Scotch bonnet. The man that filled the most black players in history
0: in football. That's amazing. Grew up with African players. I say what they didn't give me one shoot. <laughs> They didn't give you one. I never that? tasted it. Yeah. They God. didn't give you.
1: One, no one said, yo, here's some, some, I cut, I cut out. here's some, here's some Gary, here's but something. That was my thing. I yeah. I, I made high red eat scotch bonnet. And and there was a time I made John Off Arancini balls. Amazing. And I said, did I gentrify John Off rice? <laughs> I said, like, no. I combined it with stuff. I love Italian food. And yeah, I combined yeah. it. And when I do stuff like that, I feel like I'm representing my people showing that West Africa is elevated and mm. elegant and that I feel like in terms of culturally putting West Africa on the map, food-wise, okra, cassava, granite stew, suya, roast beef, wherever it is. That's that's what I'm you're very proud of. You're be
0: hungry again, Zoo. I'm but telling you Yeah, you're
1: that. right. <laughs> Go on, eat right you're, now.
0: Uh, yeah, big time. I'll be over in 10. Aha. Uh-huh. Just to hear you talking there about the TV work kind of liberating you as an artist in some ways and and the fact that you 're literally recording in this space that you 've cultivated for yourself that is um your own home, considering what you've what you 've come from what you 've been through, what you 've done so far, it feels really powerful and I was thinking about music and grime especially as being such a like vivid unapologetic reflection of duality, mixed Mm. homes, like kind of different cultures kind of coming together. I wondered if in the same way that you can through food, that music is an outlet for that kind of sense of yourself. Yeah, one million percent. Even before I got into telly, I always made music that was
1: reflective of me and who I am and what I believed in. I was a youth worker before I became a musician and I said, I'm going to make music to impact young people. Yeah. And for that, now more than ever, with the right steps I can make something that really talk, gives us a snapshot into what's going on in the world right now and
0: Yeah, I'm excited to see what comes next listen so am I too Big Zoo every time we speak I absolutely love it man thank you for letting us in thank you for giving us that tip before we're ever choking on a, on a fish bone <laughs> <laughs> Aye, <rice. laughs> thank you for your time can't wait to see what you do next thank you bro appreciate you. I don't know if it's possible to listen to him talk without having, like, a big grin on your face. He's so, like, exuberant, ebullient, honest. He's so himself, all the different parts of him and where he's come from. But what I really loved about that was how deep he got, how honest he was about his roots, like interaction with different sides of his family and coming to the UK and the sort of slight chaos of, of living in that, Situation where, you know, he's living in this giant mansion uh, with other refugee children. It was just such a joy to listen to him, really. I loved it. So that's it for this particular episode of Where's Home Really? with me, Jimmy Famarewa. Join me again next time for another deep dive into some unique stories from some very special guests who have their own personal interpretations of what home really means to them. And why not follow Where's Home Really on your favourite podcast platform? We'd love to hear your thoughts, so pop us a comment or leave a review. From Podomo and Listen, this has been Where's Home Really. Hosted by me, Jimmy Famarewa. The producers are Tayo Popula and Aidan Judd. The executive producers for Podomo are Jake Chudnow and Matt White. And for Listen is Kelly Redmond.